see, that's funny because they they start to get into that, and Clark has no game. No, he doesn't. It's really funny. He doesn't. It's it is so funny. Like it is comedic. They play it for laughs all the time. And then there's Lex, who has an on-screen sex life. Oh yeah, he definitely Lex. Lex Luthor fucks. I can't believe you hated the show so much. You're leaving. Yeah, it was Smallville specifically and not having a full-time job. It was definitely just Smallville. You you just can't take the WB. It it was one teen drama too many, and I just splintered the friendship and we're never talking again after this. I mean, you say that as a joke, but you haven't heard my notes yet. I listen, I'm mentally prepared. Because I, ha- listen, I I love, I adore Smallville, but also I had the experience as soon as we started watching this for the show of my year-long hyperfixation fizzling out yeah. and suddenly not having those rose-tinted glasses where like, yes, when I watched it, I acknowledged that it was bad. That's why I love it. That's why I still love it. But like, the nostalgic goggles that popped off as soon as the hyperfixation ended. So, like, I get it. Because, like, there were things about this show that I liked, but I think what kept bugging me about it is that it wasn't bad enough to really, like, hold my interest the way that, say, American Gothic did or Birds of Prey. It was so thoroughly okay that I had to force myself to watch it because I would get bored. Like... Okay, what do, what do we want to talk about first with this show? Because I've got a little bit of notes on just about everything. So where do you want to start this? Um, it's not even a roast. It's just me looking at Smellville and going, hmm, okay. Time to eviscerate my yeah, best friend's most formative TV show. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I didn't dislike it enough to eviscerate it, but I feel like it's almost more offensive to go into something that somebody really likes and go it's it's okay it's okay but also you haven't seen the jensen ackles supernatural um witch season because of course pre-supernatural jensen ackles has to be in the season where they have possession and witches but like I don't really want to watch more of it because I want to preserve this version of Lex in my head because he was, he was the best written character and he was the best acted character. God, Michael Rosenbaum gave his all to Lex. He put everything into Lex. Episode 19, I skipped most of because as you know, uh, I don't like Allison Mack and having to watch her too much squicks me out like a lot so i mean that episode i was like okay there's good lex drama here so i'm gonna watch it but i'm going to skip everything that has chloe's face yeah and just read the synopsis later i yeah i'm able to compartmentalize very easily so i have had no problems getting back into smallville after the last several years of news so yeah i think that's something that we should generally warn people about because i came into this like i i like to watch cult media basically and i watched a documentary series that had a section on nexium so like after knowing that allison mack branded people in a sex cult i had trouble with chloe's kid I think that Chloe is a shitty character in general, yep. but I also know that part of that is influenced by the fact that Alice and Mac freaks me out. Oh no, Chloe, it takes Chloe like five seasons to come into her own, and it literally takes her meeting someone who isn't Clark and getting over her residual feelings for him. That's literally what it took for her character to start getting good. She's just so, she's so obnoxious and she doesn't understand, like, personal boundaries. Oh, yeah, no. She's supposed to be 14, but she's the only one of them who acts 14. Yeah, and that actually ends up 
being a major plot point in stories going forward like they directly comment on the fact that she has no boundaries and it directly fucks up her own life several times over yeah that's that was one thing is like she actually acts like a 14 year old but nobody else does yeah and that bugged me so much because like they should have just made them juniors or seniors in high school so so much of the weirdness could have been avoided if they were just older because the entire time i was watching it i was like why I, I'm supposed to see them as teenagers, and I just can't because there's a 21-year-old man hanging out with them and, like, putting them in charge of businesses. What the fuck is this? I'm just going to assume they're all 18. It only gets weirder, especially around Lana, because, God, Lana was done dirty the most out of this show. Because, like, Lex gets done dirty the longer it goes on. Like, they fuck up his character arc so bad. But Lana continually gets the short stick even when she's finally given like a leg up they immediately are like nope we're pulling you back you're getting the weird you're getting the stalker again for the fifth season in a row god fucking damn it (sighs) see the thing about lana is i feel like that actress was really trying she just couldn't she, I feel like the character of Lana was done worse by the writers than it was by the uh, actress. That's That was one thing that I found odd about Smallville, is that aside from Lex, who was both well-written and well-acted, the characters were either well-written or well-acted and not, not like, the same ever. Yeah, no. It does even out over the seasons, but also I will go to bat saying that the quality of this show is how bad it is i adore how fucking goddamn bad it gets it's oh once they start bringing in the rest of the justice league oh when they get oh sorry i'm just like i'm remembering like season seven (laughs) that was the thing though is like it was kind of bad in some ways but it was so thoroughly okay that, like, I can't recommend it to people for being really good, but I also can't recommend it to people for being so bad it's funny. Visually, it was kind of unremarkable to me. They didn't do a whole lot that I found visually compelling. Like, the part of production that really got me was the music. The music was incredible. Oh, I love the setting, but also the longer it goes on, the more comic booky it looks. Yeah. And that that's what I love. But also like there there's just something so quintessential about season 1. Because it's not my favorite season. I wouldn't say I think season 2 or 3 would be my favorite. But there's just something about season 1 that you really can't knock when it comes to being quintessentially smallville. The CGI was just like consistently <laughs> awful though. Oh my- year that kills Lana's parents. It was on par with American Gothic, but American Gothic aired, like, years earlier. And they also scaled back, in American Gothic, they scaled back on the CGI as you went through the series as if they knew, like, oh, this this is bad. This makes it look bad. But it just never got better in Smallville. It was just consistently bad throughout the entire run. Except the X-ray vision. I was okay with that looking corny because they always use the x-ray vision really well. And for the first time when I was watching any kind of Superman media, I was like, okay, x-ray vision makes sense. He uses it in practical ways. And I will give them that. They That is the one thing I love about this show is as it goes on and they commit more and more to that Silver Age thing, like he gets super breath. Clark gets super sneezes. Fantastic. It's delightful. It is so much fun. But they make it practical and grounded. Like, it it never feels like it's coming out of left field. So, well, some things do, but, like, when it comes to the evolution of his powers, it always feels logical and believable for me. That's the thing about the writing, is that sometimes it is super solid. Like, it made me actually believe that uh x-ray vision was a useful and interesting power when most of the time with superman i'm like that's fucking dumb yeah 
it doesn't make sense. But he actually used it in really realistic ways. And if we're talking about things that the writers did well, the relationship between Clark and his parents amazingly written oh that comes down to my favorite thing because like the core of this show that um i've heard discussed uh, by the writers is the fact that they wanted to illustrate the fundamental ideas of like where a person comes from and going down to the point of parents so the show is literally trying to parallel everyone's family lives and how that results in the way that they come up as adults sort of like seeing Lex's super abusive and traumatic household versus Clark's supportive and loving but still flawed family life versus like Lana who has had family and support system but is still largely on her own. Here's the thing that I kept noticing is that when they're a family unit, when they're all like interacting together, Jonathan and Martha and Clark have an incredible relationship. It's really compelling. As soon as these characters go off on their own, they just become flat. Like, I, I'm not sure what it is, but as soon as, like, Martha and Jonathan are not in the same room, or they're not with Clark, they're just kind of boring characters, and I think that Martha got kneecapped with that a little more than John, but we also see her less. But also, that's gonna change as it goes on, because Martha ends up becoming a main character, and actually, like, Martha's a fucking badass. Oh my god, be still my heart. That's true, but bro, we're talking about season one. I know, but also I know you're not gonna watch more, so there I just want to give you like tidbits here and there of like this does change a bit here and there. Martha does become a badass. She gets into politics. I'm glad to hear that it improves. And what I really want to know is does Clark's actor improve at all? Because every time Clark had to make a facial expression, you could see the actor trying so hard, like figuring out how to emote. And I was looking at him and I'm like, that's what I look like when I'm masking, isn't it? Like, that's what other people see. In his defense, he was a model before this. Um, oh, you can tell. You can really tell. He, do he does get better. He does get better. And Okay, so I know that this character doesn't, I don't think he comes back really at all. I think Whitney got done a little dirty. Oh yeah, he has one more episode, but also it's not um it's a return of one of the season 1 baddies and we find out that he's actually dead. Okay, this is I've not a complicated take, but like a take that kind of cancels itself out. On the one hand, I feel like Whitney actually was a more interesting character than a lot of people give him credit for, and, like, I think the actor really tried. And I think it's interesting that the writers really tried to set up Whitney as a sympathetic character, and they gave him a backstory that I found one of the more interesting ones. Mm -hmm. And yet, the entire season, I was spent going, are we forgetting that Whitney committed... Like, felony assault on Clark in the first episode. Oh my god. Are we not going to talk? And even later on, um, Lana accuses Clark of not being over the being strung up yes! in the field thing. And I'm like, no, he shouldn't be. Whitney should have been fucking arrested. And I don't yes! even think that that's a controversial take for, a, for 20 years ago. I think that even 20 years ago, that kind of hazing would still get people arrested. Especially... Yeah, no. In high school, when it's like a 17, 18-year-old doing it to a 14-year-old, that's... Okay, but that also then taps onto another thing about this that makes me very uncomfortable, is the fact that Whitney is a senior. He is 18. He enlists in the military at the end of season one. Him and Lana have been dating for several years, and she's 14. That was so fucking weird. It made me so uncomfortable. And yet they still tried to really make him not creepy. And I think if I didn't know that they were supposed to have been dating for several for, for several years and she was 14, if I didn't know that, I would be like, huh, flawed relationship, but still not bad. But knowing that they've been dating for a while, like, ooh, what? And, and like, here's the thing is when I started rewatching Smallville, and this is what I thought as a kid too, I thought Lana was supposed to be older than Clark. But then I got to season four 
and threw for thrown for a fucking loop because Lana's back for her senior year. That's the thing. If they aged up, like, Clark, Lana, Chloe, Pete, if they aged them up, like, even three years, it would be fine. Honestly, like, I just... I love this show, but I just... There needs, like, to be, like, a perimeter around Lana and just, like, would the men in this show leave Lana alone? Would they please leave her alone i'm i'm gonna end up being a whitney apologist even though i do think he should have been arrested because if you take lana's actual canonical age out of it they don't have the worst relationship in the world like it's not perfect but they have an average relationship an average high school relationship where like the biggest of their conflicts are literally Whitney is really depressed right now and doesn't know how to reach out, but it gets resolved because they have good friends. Yeah, and like Lana, um, one thing that I appreciated is early on, she was like, yeah, I'm with Whitney because he's there for me. And their problems arose when he was not there for her anymore because he had other responsibilities. Mm Mm-hmm. And like, I would watch a show that's about them. I mean, I might not love the show, but I would watch it. If she was of a more appropriate age. But even without that, I'm going to be a a Whitney apologist, even though throughout the entire show, every time they brought up the Scarecrow thing, which is more than I thought they would. Yeah. It's like, why was he not arrested? Why is this still a hazing ritual? No. There's just... Oh. It's (laughs) terrible. It's terrible. I love this show, but it's terrible. I love... Here's the thing. I love this show, but also, like... The, there is so much they fuck up about this show. Don't even oh, don't even get me started on the caves plot line. Okay, okay. Because that's the thing about recommending this show to people is I have to sit here like, okay, be prepared for like season two and three. It's gonna be really fucking racist. Okay, so the episodes that I was watching today to finish it up, which it so it was somewhere in like episode twenty or twenty one. Clark is talking about his friendship with. Chloe, and he's like, yeah, when she came in eighth grade, and I had to pause it because I'm like, okay, you two are such good friends. You're incredible friends. You've known her for a year. Oh my god, wait, I never noticed that. No, in like... Wait, holy shit. In like episode 20, he says when she was, when they were in eighth grade, and I'm like, you're a freshman in high school. That was last year. You've known her almost two years. I will generously give them summer break, like, off, but... He's known her for not even two years, and it's like, oh, we're best friends. And I'm like, no, you're children, and Clark has every right to have other friends, even if it's weird that one of his friends is a 21-year-old. But, like, that bothered me. Yeah, that's one thing that I never noticed, honestly, because, like, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, like, oh, yeah, they've known each other since, like, what, fifth grade? Eighth grade, God. I'm mad about The racism thing. The episode with the flower that makes you, like, act on your inner impulses. Oh, God. How angry Pete got immediately. Yep. Like, all right, we're gonna take- we're gonna take the black male character, uh, and when other characters got, you know, belligerent or slutty, for lack of a better word, like, when they just let loose, he got angry and he got a gun. That is- that is not a good take. Pete is the most- They just fail at every turn with Pete. Unfortunately, I think the best thing they ever did with Pete's character is him deciding he was done and he just left. He told Clark, listen, I love you, buddy, but I need to do this for myself. And he left. And that is the only time they have written something that wasn't just horrifying for his character. He is regularly just used as Clark's human shield or as bait or as collateral. It is horrifying. That is so gross. Yeah, there's literally a scene and this just gutted me the first time I saw it because I'm like, what the fuck? There is a scene and I believe it is next season when Clark gets his like cheek swabbed and they know that they're not going to find human DNA. So at this point, Pete knows about his powers. So he takes Pete in with him 
Pete doesn't know why they're there, and it's only when they're there that Clark reveals they're gonna swab Pete's cheek to switch out with his DNA. My god. Some of the choices the writers made is just, uh, bad. And that's not getting into the Native American stuff. Oh, god. That's- okay. Something that I'm looking at my notes when I look at, like, writing. I like the Freak of the Week structure, but again, I'm a Supernatural fan. I like Monster of the Week formats. However, they had no concrete rules around the meteor rocks, and that bothered me. That is a running thing where, like, it's it's less of there's not no rules and more of the rules are established like, there are established rules, but it um, doesn't get explained until later on when they have the technological access to understand it more. There are rules to it, though. But operating under only the first season, assuming that they don't, that they might not get a second season because they wouldn't necessarily know while they're writing it, they establish no rules at all in their first season, even if the characters don't have the ability to technologically understand it, because we don't need character understanding to figure out, like, oh, this is why people mutate, this is how long you need to be exposed. Everybody's exposure was different and was to different levels, and, like, Lana was wearing a meteor rock around her neck for who knows how many years and didn't develop anything until the gas explosion when other people, like, touch it, touch them once. That's what bothered me, is that they didn't establish any kind of pattern. Like, the characters themselves don't need to understand it, but it would be helpful if the audience could be like, oh, that's unrefined meteor rock. Like, with unpolished malachite, you shouldn't touch it, and people who touch it, something bad happens. Or, like, when it's in the soil and people are drinking that water, it's contaminated groundwater. But there's no consistent string of how people who become the meteor mutants become those. Some people have it from the point of um, the actual meteor shower. Like the two salesmen who got caught in their car during the meteor shower, they got weird powers, but the crop duster guy didn't get anything. (laughs) Maybe it's a good thing you're not watching future seasons. It it bugged me. Okay. I was putting up with it for the most part until we got to the episode where there was the crop duster guy who saw the spaceship land. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's like, okay, so the salesman in their car, they got their weird overpowered shit, but he didn't get anything when he was in the fucking sky when it was happening? Okay. Oh, man. But I also had other issues with the, um, the salesman because... It didn't make sense how long or how short their the effects of their powers lasted, but that mattered. That mattered less. That was one singular monster episode. That wasn't a consistent pattern. That was an episode purely there to foreshadow Clark and Lex and to give like stakes to how far their relationship has to fall. Okay, that was another thing that... I wouldn't say I hated it, I more just found it kind of both a little bit amusing, but also mostly annoying, is that this show, in every single episode, they need at least one line of dialogue that just feels like they're hitting me with a Christmas ham, going, do you see the foreshadowing? I'm being beaten over the head by, like, a turkey leg, by a raw turkey leg. (laughs) <laughs> it just has foreshadowing written on it in Sharpie. But that's why it's good. Listen, dude, like I said, Silver Age. You're not supposed to take it seriously. Okay, um, have you ever seen the Star Kid musical Holy Musical Batman? No, but I know the premise and a lot of the jokes because of TikTok and a yeah. lot of the songs. That's how... That's how I like when people do Silver Age, is the full embracing of the camp. Like, that's why that's my favorite Star Kid. Well, okay. It's one of my two favorites. I will. I refuse to pick a favorite between that and Twisted. Uh, don't, nobody come for me for liking Star Kid musicals. I never pretended to have good taste. <laughs> we know. We know. These people know that I like Supernatural. I don't have good taste. 
Listen, I'm sitting here ripping the shit out of my own favorite. No one here has ever claimed to have good taste. But that's what I like about Silver Age reboots, for lack of a better word, is when they fully embrace the camp and Smallville felt too teen drama for me to get away with some of the Silver Age stuff they tried to pull, I guess. It gets better the older they get. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically, and anyone who's seen it knows what I'm talking about, I'm thinking specifically of the Witches episode from, like, season four or five that, like, is just, mwah, it's, it's beautiful. It's so much fun. And it brings my favorite version of Silver Age camp and 2000s camp and just matches them into a beautifully horrible episode. Because you've got to, you have to give a show time to settle into stuff, but just for the first season, it bothered me that in every single episode, they try to be like, yeah, you see, because he's Superman, you, you get it? This will be a thing later, you know? It's gonna be a thing. I'm like, you're giving me this, but you're not giving me Calendar Man, and I will not accept that. Be a true drama or be nothing. You're not even seeing all of the hundreds of times Clark has a red blanket or something draped over his shoulders, and they just play it straight. God, just... It's beautiful. There's one they, that they do after he joins the football team again. And it's so funny. That's the, it's beautiful. That's the thing about the show that just tormented me is so much of it is like, eh, if they'd committed a little bit more, then... And they, they do commit more the longer it goes on. Yeah, just in the first season, I wasn't terribly impressed. And I know that in the first season, they need to, like, get renewed. That's the main focus. But still, like, besides my beef with the meteor rocks, most of it I know can be fixed later and probably, like, was set up to be done more later. Yeah. I'm not excusing the meteor rocks because I stand by what I said earlier, but with most of that, like, I guess it's, that it's stuff they can deal with later on, but still a lot of it was just me sitting there going, uh, okay, yeah. you're gonna do it this way. That being said... I feel like they do commit fully to the music choices. Love uh, that for them. I listen to this soundtrack all the time. Because every... I love that on the wiki they list what songs were being played at what times. Because so many of them, I was like, oh my god, that's activating like something buried in my head from decades ago. Mm -hmm. I need to find out what this was. Oh my god. The first time Michelle Branch played, it was like getting backslapped with nostalgia because I was fucking obsessed with the album that that um that song came. God, what song was that? I'm blanking on it now. I need to Google it real quick. The time that I, the only time that I was ever frustrated by the music was because it was doing the thing that annoyed me. With the rest of the show trying to talk about, oh, hey, we're, it's Superman. You can tell because we're foreshadowing was when they did Superman by Five for Fighting. I love that, though. I really like that they did use the song in Smallville, but I feel like it should have been in the finale at some point, either in the first episode or the last episode. But also they had to save what the theme song for the last episode, because it's a 2016 drama. They, they are obligated to have the bands that does their theme song in an episode. I found that so annoying. Honestly, that's not a trend that I like. I love it purely because you never really know when it's coming. Sort of like when I was watching One Tree Hill and there's fucking Gavin DeGraw again. God, okay. But one thing they did first episode, last episode, everything by, light, by Lighthouse? 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 Whatever. Oh, That yeah. song, I loved that they used it to bookend the series. <sighs> I thought that was a great choice. It was so good. I am obsessed with that song. I think that is one of my number one played songs ever since I started rewatching Smallville. Are you ready to talk about Lex Luthor? Okay. 
Oh, before we get into that, I have to share my favorite little tidbit. So, you know, the episode Leech, the worst episode yes. of the season. Uh, you remember the kid from that? Yes. <laughs> so that guy's name, uh, he is one of the Ashmore twins. I'm pulling up his name now because I can never remember which Ashmore twin it is. <laughs> I don't know who these people are, but I'm going with it. They they were everywhere in the 2000s. Uh, okay, so in Leech season one, we get Sean Ashmore playing one of their classmates. He does pop up in season three again in one of the most heart-wrenching Lex episodes to date. Jesus fucking Christ. But <laughs> he has an identical twin brother. Uh, named Aaron Ashmore and his identical twin brother Aaron Ashmore in like I think season five or six plays Jimmy Olsen beautiful and here's the best part uh there there's gonna be a spoiler warning at the start of the show but uh spoiler warning for the very end of the show they kill Jimmy Olsen pre-Superman and then they remember oh shit wait Jimmy Olsen needs to exist for in the Superman universe. So you know what they do? Mm. They say that Jimmy Olsen had an identical flat twin brother also named Jimmy Olsen. Amazing. Right? Speaking of actors in the show, oh. I love that Dr. Hamilton was played uh, by the same guy who was in Terminator 2. And now I have to actually look up what the character's name is. Oh my god, but he was yes. He was sort of like the tertiary antagonist in Terminator 2 who like accidentally created Skynet. He was also in Eureka. That. He was all that also was, in Eureka. I love that. That was dude. fantastic casting. I love that dude. Dr. Hamilton. There, there are some characters in this that show that I wish had been in seasons longer. And Dr. Hamilton and Nixon are the, my top two. Nixon is probably my favorite small time antagonist. Speaking of which, highly recommend you watch the first episode of season two before you totally give up Smallville, just because it wraps up the finale of season one without getting into the story of season two. So it's more of the season finale than the first one is, but okay. it's, yeah. it's, the, it's great. Miles Dyson was the uh, character in Terminator 2 who accidentally created Skynet. Oh, beautiful. Like, I loved that. I love when you have a character who's kind of playing a type, but it's a weird type. And that weird type is specifically scientists who's unleashing horrible things without necessarily knowing, or at the very least, not really caring. But they also do that a lot. They do, they do that anytime they have an actor that is known for a certain character. And it's also usually when they cast them to act alongside a former co-star. Sort of like... um. Oh, of course I'm Jonathan Snyder. Um, is that his name? John Snyder? I don't know. I got distracted because you, like, the actors who play the type, and I was thinking about uh, Jitters, where the villain was the same guy who was in oh. Candyman. Yeah, that is one of my favorite episodes, honestly. I love Jitters. That is such a heartbreaking mm -hmm. episode. I Yeah, I, I think his name is John Snyder. Jonathan? You might recognize him from Dukes of Hazards. Um, and Tom Wopat ends up having a cameo uh, playing his childhood best friend of whom he used to go drag racing with. All right. We also get, I believe it's next season. You remember the movie we watched, John Tucker Must Die? Mm-hmm. John Tucker plays a high school assassin. Amazing. Yeah, he he um plays he's one of the cool guys, but he also assassinates meteor freaks. All right. Also, for anyone watching this show, absolutely adore more of the beautiful casting because Annette O'Toole is Martha. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you will know that she is important to our lifelong struggle between which is better, 90s or 2019 it. <laughs> because Annette O'Toole, dear Martha, was Beverly Marsh in 90s it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Are we ready to talk about Lex? 
Yes. I'm so excited. I love Lex so much. So the thing about the reason that I'm so set on stopping after the first season uh, for your lovely viewers to know is that I do not ever want to see another version of Lex. I do not want to see his downfall. I am perfectly happy with this version of Lex and I am not changing because I love me. I love me a villain who at some point the show just decided, no, he's going to be Clark's friend. And they just ran. Yeah. And their friendship is so cute. They, and it gets tragic and it gets sad. And then the writers just do him so dirty, but also Michael Rosenbaum is so good. And I accept no other Lex. It's just, I, I really liked him because he clearly did have a, um, he has a moral center. I mean, if only just despite his father, he has a moral center. And the thing about the show that, like, I liked that they were doing it, and I know where they were going with it, but I'm mad that they decided to go the direction they did, is that throughout the show, people, like, people are saying, like, oh, he's got a, he's got a darkness in him, he's got a badness in him, and even John, who's like, there's just something about him that I don't trust. And meanwhile, the thing that I just kept thinking of is what I'm pretty sure Martha said, which was if you treat him like that, that is what he's going to become. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like thinking you need to judge a man by his actions and his actions are trying his goddamn best. But also that's his whole storyline throughout the whole show. That's that, the thing is I know that they're just going to run with that, but it makes me sad because I personally prefer, and again, this is just my personal preference. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it necessarily makes a better story, but where you have that setup, but the person stays good anyway, and people come around because it's the actions that matter. God damn it. He does get some vindication in some episodes. Like they do give him some good. He gets some good for a while before they tear it out from under him. Yeah, it just, like, that that got me. He, he was definitely the most compelling character, and there were episodes that I was getting kind of bored during, but I just kept watching because I was waiting to see Lex Luthor. Lex is the single best part about this show, and I adore him so much. Now you understand. <laughs> I'm sitting here just like I I have been screaming about Lex in the group chat for the last year. You finally get it. <laughs> if I'd watched this as a kid, I would have just been so into Lex. Which is funny because when I was a kid, I fucking hated him, but I was coming off the cartoons. So I'm sitting here like, that's Lex fucking Luther. Why are you getting all buddy buddy with him? <laughs> he is friend shaped. <laughs> He is! Protect him! It gets so sad! And that's the thing, is it seems like he has a moral center almost just to spite his father, but I'll take it, honestly. Oh god, there are some episodes- honestly, I might make you, like, a list of, like, good Lexfit episodes that do- good by him, because there are certain episodes I'm thinking of that I'm like, you're gonna love this! Or you're going to, like, love the moral struggle he is going through in it. Specifically, the episode that breaks my heart every time is Lexmas, which is an episode where they actually tackle some of his trauma with his mother and her dying, um, but also tackle his that moral compass that he has, because it's an episode where it takes place within one of his dreams. I will not give more context than that, but it takes place in one of his dreams with the ghost of his mother. And oh my God. I, okay. I'm also, I know I would have loved him as a kid, but I'm also the person where in the last episode I was going, let your dad die. Leave him there. Leave him. Do you want to know one fun little thing when it comes to him and leaving his father to die? Does he kill his dad later on? He pushes him out a window. Good. Good for him. Good for him. That is one thing I'm going to sit here and say is, Smallville writers, turn your location on. I just want to talk about your choices with with Lionel in the middle of the series. I just want to talk about that whole, uh, the whole humble plot line. I think it was like season, season four. 
after after the prison plotline. I want to talk, guys. I want to talk about what you were doing there. <laughs> I have questions. I just sometimes sometimes self care is pushing your father out of a window. I stand that. I stand. I stand this specific Lex Luthor. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. You have no idea how happy that makes me. And okay, something else, another reason that I can't ever watch uh, the other seasons, because I have read enough of the wiki that I had that I know why I can't go past season one. Ignoring Lana's age, because the show itself seems mm -hmm. to. I ship Lana and Lex. I do. I think they have the most emo I think they have the most interesting chemistry. And I think that Lex just trying so hard to set Lana up with Clark is just feeds into that. But again, that is ignoring the fact that Lana is 14 fucking years old. And also, Lex is like, you're on a business, you're 14, but I'm going to put you in charge of this business. Also Go ignoring on. all of the homoerotic stuff that pops up by then because I'm going to be honest, that whole I'm sure you know what goes on between him and Lana later on but that whole season five arc I believe that they did what a love triangle is supposed to be and that was just one big circular rebound no I I like Clex I would probably read Clex but I okay I see the homoerotic stuff between Lex and Clark it's impossible not to see However, I think that Lex is doing the heavy lifting because Clark, it's the actor's fault. And I know that he can't entirely help it because he was a model first, but he exudes like a negative sex appeal almost. There's something about him that I just get no sexual chemistry off of the man whatsoever. And that's the only reason that I'm just kind of meh on the homoerotic side of it. I find that really funny considering the actors are hardcore Clex shippers who both were like, yeah, no, there was multiple scenes where we just wanted them to kiss. No, like, I, I fully, I can see that and I support it, but when I am actively watching the show, I look at Clark Kent and I'm like, you are smooth like a Ken doll. <laughs> you have negative, like, sex appeal. See, that's funny because they, they start to get into that and Clark has no game. No, he doesn't. It's really funny. He doesn't. It's, it is so funny. Like, it is comedic. They play it for laughs all the time. And then there's Lex who has an on-screen sex life. Oh, yeah. He definitely... Lex, Lex Luthor fucks. No, there is an episode that Colby Smulders is actually in. It's one of the good episodes I would recommend. Where, like, no, he fucks on screen. Oh, yeah. Okay, Lex Luthor fucks on screen, but also Lex Luthor fucks just as a vibe. <laughs> Lex Luthor, it, he fucks so much. Literally, the episode with Colby Smulders um, is his sex scandal episode where his stalker releases a bunch of shit to um, incriminate him. Like, there, no, he has multiple sex scandal episodes, actually. I want to see more of him at Club Zero <laughs> specifically. God, I had a fucking flip when I realized that they actually foreshadowed Club Zero. Club Zero is one of the episodes I can remember watching premiere when I was five years old. Amazing. That, oh my god, there's several episodes actually that watching through this, I had to like note that like, I remember watching this premiere. Like that one, um, X-Ray and Cold, I remember watching those premiere at my best friend's house when I was five years old. God. So also, that's why I go to bat so hard for this show. I've literally been watching this show since 2001, when I was five fucking years old. God. You can ask my mother. She cannot stand this show because I watched it for so long since I was- I can imagine that. Like yeah. almost a solid 10 years. I did fall off on the end. It was, I tried to get back in around the blur, um, and that weird storyline, but also I'm just sitting here like, Clark, please go to therapy and stop going to Hot Topic. I love you, but... Please go to therapy, sir. You you need it. That's... This whole show, 
just go to therapy. But also, I say that, but Lex did at, in season three, and that didn't end well. Oh, my God. No, oh. he needs to go to therapy, but, like, he should have just let his father die in the season finale of, of one. That, that he should have. Self-care, Lex. Self-care. <laughs> so, there is so many things in this show, but Lionel is a fucking cockroach. That man. There are so many funny behind-the-scenes things from this show, because, like, because John Glover... This is the thing is, I, I love... I love Lionel Luther's actor. I think he does an absolutely incredible job of making me just want to murder the man. Oh, yeah. And um, I heard a story because uh, Michael Rosenbaum has a podcast. And apparently when John Glover was on and they were talking about it, he was just like, yeah, at one point I realized you were intentionally trying to piss me off behind the scenes so that when we were acting, I was actually mad at you. And it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> Because he was intentionally being a little shit to piss him off. And that's just beautiful. Okay, I want Smallville, but I want it to only be Lex Luthor. Uh, oh, honestly, there's a lot of people that would agree with you, and I am one of them. Lex Luthor is the only valid one in this entire show. Mm-hmm. I love him so much. And he gets done so dirty. Uh. I do like that he killed that psychic lady by accident by the sheer force of his shitty future. Oh, yeah, because that was foreshadowed. That's literally foreshadowing the season finale. They follow up on that in the final episode. And they Love and there that. are multiple alternate universe episodes that directly deal with it also. is It got so many seasons from such a thoroughly okay beginning. And I guess it bugs me that better shows were not given the same chances. And I know that there's, like, tons of stuff that goes into it. There's politics, there's demographics, if the show isn't appreciated in its time. But still, I look at Smallville, and I'm like, so this got nine seasons, and Dark Angel got two. Like, but also, to be fair, we haven't watched season two. No. And that one sounds like it kind of killed it. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, that and, like, Smallville was so thoroughly okay. Oh, but American Gothic wasn't even aired in the right order. I'm still, I'm going to be mad about American Gothic because I know there was good stuff there, but they need to put me in charge of the reboot. Honestly, I am so sad that as soon as we started watching this, I lost my hyperfixation because I was so excited to talk about this. And now I'm sitting here like vibrating to for when we finish this so I can go back to watching Deep Space Nine. Incredible. And see, I'm biding my time until I can finish rewatching Clone Wars so that I can start Bad Bad. I, God, I, one YouTuber makes one video about the Bashir and Garrick, and I just fell down a rabbit hole of Deep Space Nine, and I can't get out, and now I'm just, I can't get out. <laughs> I'm so deeply invested in this show. My mom and I just finished season one. Okay, so I am, as your viewers are going to know at this point, I am stepping back because um, full-time job, not much time. Yeah. And I don't want this to become, like, a chore, you know? Mm -hmm. However, when it does come time that you decide to expand uh, the reach to 2010... You need to hit me up again because there are shows that I am just waiting for the chance to start rewatching. Oh, we will. So, like, hit me up again uh, when when that happens, so that I can be like, okay, we're gonna watch. We 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 have to watch Generator Rex. We gotta just go with me. <laughs> I'm gonna build a fandom for oh it out gosh. of nothing. Oh my gosh. Oh. And I'm going to hunt the executives of Cartoon Network for sport. Oh, me too. That's going to be a fun weekend. Oh, yeah, because between Teen Titans, Generator Rex, and Symbiotic Titan. Oh, and Tower Prep, which I introduced you to. Mm. I need to get back on that. I I don't remember what episode I was on because I was watching it when I was switching computers. Yeah. But, like, I'm going to find all of the Cartoon Network executives from roughly, like, 2007 to 2013, and I'm going to hunt them for sport, and you're welcome to join me. I am so excited. 
Uh, and also, I, I say this with the utmost respect and affection. You are such a useless nerd. I love yeah. you. you are, this is coming from another useless nerd who spent five hours yesterday rebooting my Tumblr RP blog. <laughs> like, I know better. I love you too, dude. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah, and I, I am looking forward to doing episodes in the future when I'm not, like, coming home and immediately taking a nap. You need to join us for the Doctor Who TV special, but also that will require me to sit you down one day to watch a single season of Good Doctor Who so you know what this show is like when it's not terrible and beautiful. Oh, man. This was very fun to record, and Smallville was not the worst thing I've ever watched. I'm glad you liked it, even if uh, you damned it with faint praise. Because it's fine! It's just fine! (laughs) The ghosts are moving tonight, restless and hungry. May I introduce myself? I'm Bo, and in a minute, I'll show you the only true haunted podcast in the world. Since it began eight months ago, eight people have died, including my co-host. I've only spent one episode hosting without them. When they found me in the morning, I... I was almost dead. There are more, many more. They're coming for me now. And then, they'll come for you. Thank you so much for joining us on You Got to Know. We've been your hosts. If there's a show you want to see us discuss, let us know at Tied with a Bow on Twitter or at Hellish Rebuke Creative on Instagram. This show is made possible by your support, and that includes sharing us with your friends and family. Subject other people to this. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes below. Music for the show by Kevin McLeod. Mm-hmm.